BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. Happy Monday, everyone. I hope everyone is staying safe and sane this week. Please tell me that you're staying home and doing your part. Before we start this episode, I want to thank everyone who turned into our Thursday miniseries, Call Your Friends. It was the first one that I've ever done within the show. The response was so amazing. I got so many DMs from all of you sharing your experiences. And so thank you to all of you for that continued support. I'm also really grateful to all of my friends that came on who shared how they've coped with this pandemic and their challenging experiences across so many different industries and even cities around the world. We wrapped up the series last week, so if you're looking for some at-home inspiration or even just a friendly voice to listen to during this time, there are six episodes for you to binge, and they really help me feel supported and not alone during this. So I hope that they do the same for you. For today's show, I am so excited to welcome my good friend, Joanna Simkin. We actually recorded this episode on the first Monday in May, which is also known as the Met Ball, also known as Joanna and the entire industry's Super Bowl. So it was particularly emotional, and I'm super glad that I got to check in on her and see how she's doing and talk about some career highlights during a time that feels quite lonely and challenging. Joanna is one of the most in-demand celebrity makeup artists and groomers in the game. With a clientele list that includes Issa Rae, Megan Rapinoe, Zayn Malik, Kerry Washington, Storm Reid, Troy Sivan, Frank Ocean, and more. She also happens to be one of my favorite people in real life and a favorite to follow on Instagram for her absolutely unapologetic realness. She posts everything from issues she's passionate about to a behind-the-scenes look at how she creates some of the top beauty trends that hit the red carpet and her everyday life in LA as a wife and mom to her adorable daughter, Noelle, aka Smush. In this episode, Joanna tells us all about her upbringing in San Francisco, what it was like moving to New York in the early 2000s, and how she skipped beauty school and went to beauty boot camp by getting her start in doing makeup for music videos. She also fills us in on how she utilized Twitter to get her first client and then went on to achieve an extremely successful career grounded in being an ally and a champion for inclusivity and diversity. Here's my friend, Joanna Simkin. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I distinctly remember the first time I met you. We were sitting next to each other having breakfast and we went through like the whole thing. I was like, what do you do? What do you do? And I had let my, I had released my podcast for the first time, like literally three days before. And I was like, I guess I have a podcast now. You're like, I kind of have this podcast. I was like, okay, (laughs) like kind of. Okay. <laughs> Cause I it had literally come out like three days before I met you and now we're here and that's really exciting. I just so it's been, it's literally been a year from that day, actually just in my, maybe because it's been a year. I think it popped up. It was a, a photo yeah. I took of you, just you like sitting in a chair. I was like, Oh, I know it's been a year, which is so crazy. That's, that's crazy. like, that's the time that we're at. I know. But so back year. to you. 
What was your first experience with makeup? Oh, ever. My oldest friend, her aunt, like I grew up in the Bay Area, has kind of like a lot of leftover, you know, crunchy hippie, not makeup people, my mother included. And my best friend, whose mom is super hippie, but she, her aunt was always really glam. This was like the 80s. So like 80s glam, you know, hair was teased, but full makeup, whatever. And, you know, my mom didn't wear makeup and I would go over there and I'd be like in the bathroom just staring at her putting on makeup and being like, I am fascinated. Like I loved it from then. Cut to my aunt giving me like one of those little cheesy plastic, you know, you open it and there's like 15 eyeshadows with like a spongy and then you flip it open and then there's 20 lip glosses. That's like all, you know, one of those boxes. And I just played with that thing till like it was in the pans. I must have been like nine. I don't know. I kind of like almost hid it from my mom because she was so like anti-makeup and anti, you know, gender conforming. Like girls shouldn't have to wear makeup and feel that way. And I was like, I like it. Yeah. So probably, yeah, like as a child, that was my first time. And then kind of, I wore makeup early and I I used to take art class. I never took a makeup class, but I took art classes. I think I kind of like, now that I think back to how I was doing my makeup, even when I was like 15 and 16, I definitely, this is, this is way before Instagram or even before the internet, quite frankly, that's how old I am. I was figuring out how to like highlight and contour a little bit and, and understanding like where light should go and where dark should go. Cause I just think about how I did my makeup then and how I would do my friend's makeup and it was like right I mean it wasn't good per se but it was right you know the concept was there but wait you never took a makeup class ever once I decided I want to do it I took like a special effects class and I learned how to do like scabs and all that stuff and bruises which has randomly come in so handy on the most random jobs (laughs) but it's funny like as an artist I'm like yes technique can be taught like I think the value of a makeup class now is if you want to go maybe into film and understanding what what different cameras do to dimension on the face what different lighting does things like that I'm like I don't know that like technique I guess can be taught but like your eye is like the thing right because you're going to have your own perspective of what you're doing yeah I mean I guess obviously art can be taught and makeup can be taught to a degree and then it can help but yeah no I didn't take any formal makeup classes where I learned a new technique or you know what I mean it was just aside from like the bruising yeah right and all that I mean look how many people are like self-taught now especially now the entire internet especially now and I think yeah and like I think like that's the way to do it honestly and I to a point like I don't think that you should take what you're seeing on a makeup tutorial on the internet like literally (laughs) but I definitely think there are techniques that can be adopted it's all about having a point of view and an aesthetic of your own. You know what I mean? So if you can absorb the technique, but then also apply your aesthetic and your point of view to it, that is really like the marriage between like, I know how to do makeup. It's going to give a client the coverage they want. And, you know, it's going to have staying power if they're on a red carpet and gone for me, or it's going to look good on camera, but also that, you know, you can see my point of view in it and you can see artistry and and, it, and it's not a, like a cookie cutter Instagram face per se. So I think like that's like the fine line of the internet people being self-taught. But <laughs> It's funny that you say that because I did an episode about two months ago with Sheena Yatana. She's the founder of Kosas Beauty, which I love. I use all the time. Okay. And she had a really good point where I was just like, I know how to do makeup because I grew up dancing. And I was taught how to do stage makeup, which was like just the absolute basics, like a red lip, powder the shit out of your face no and an eyeliner. And a ton, and a like ton I knew how to do like, like 
Oh God, I got to send you some photos. You're going to be like, my God, live. Um, and I knew how to put on like false eyelashes, like all by the time I was nine. But like as an adult now in this industry where like it's all about like contouring and like faking your face and like all these terms, like these terms that like actually feel really overwhelming for me. She said something that was really awesome that I would love to hear her thoughts on. She was like, you know, I think a lot of people think they can go on YouTube and watch someone do their makeup and then immediately be able to do it. And then they're a makeup artist and then they know how to do makeup. Mm -hmm. But like just because you watch Van Gogh paint the starry night doesn't mean that you're going to paint the starry night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and then I was like, yeah, that's like that goes back to like your point of view and your I cannot tell you how many times like when I say I'm a makeup artist, if I meet someone new first of all, people get so judgy with themselves. Like, oh my God, don't look at my face. Uh, and I'm like, I, I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, I'm, I'm like, you, what do you do? You're a tax accountant. Oh, don't, don't look at my receipt. Don't look at my taxes. Yeah, like, I'm like, are we, are we really thinking about work like that? Like when we're not working? So many women say, oh, I just have no idea how to do my own makeup. So I never wear it. And I'm like, I think you have that backwards. You never wear it because you don't know how to do it you should be doing it if you want to wear it. And it's like, who cares if it's wrong? It's like makeup, but it's also like, you cannot just go on Instagram or YouTube, watch something and be like, I've got this. And I think people like expect to feel, I'm like, there's nothing, I can't do anything just watching it one time on YouTube. So when did you move out of San Francisco? I moved out of San Francisco, 2002. I moved to New York, March of 2002. I just want to be where it was happening. I always wanted to be in New York. My mom's from New York. My mom thinks I moved to New York because- she spent my whole life complaining about New York. So I, it was like one of those, like, mother daughter. It was your active rebellion. It was my rebellion. She was like, I'm convinced because I said New York is awful. That's why you went. I was like, no, I'm like, I went to New York because like I grew up during like Biggie, hip hop, East Coast, West Coast, New York undercover. Like New York was so dope and glamorized to me. I think it is for most people. Yeah, I think I'm like, who, who doesn't want to, I think like moving to New York in your 20s is like, that's what you should do. I think everyone should do it. <laughs> Completely agree. I literally could not imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't made that move. Same. Absolutely. People are like, where are you from? And I'm like, I need you to be a little more clear about the question. Like New York raised me. Great response. Yeah, it's true. New York raised me. Like when people are like, I'm totally. like, are you a Cali girl? Are you a New Yorker? I'm like, I'm definitely a hundred percent both. I have my Cali vibes, but I'm like such a New Yorker. I'm such a New Yorker. I lived in New York totally. almost 20 years. I'm such a New Yorker. It's funny. I think, I think if you stay there long enough, it's such a part of your identity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a different, it's different than any place. It really is. And, and it is the kind of place that just becomes part of you. I had an extremely strong, like gravitational pull to be there. Same. I never second guessed it. By the way, if you're not even a New Yorker, unless you hate New York also. If you don't hate it. I hate New York just <laughs> as much as I love New York. True. It's the best worst city in the world. What was your first job in New York? I was a waitress at Justin's, which was. No way. Yeah, which was. Puffs. Oh, sorry. What's his name? Did Puffy? Diddy? What's his name now? P. Diddy? Well, anyway, Sean Combs. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just see my face right now. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know he changed his name. He's changed his name so many times. It, anyway, I always think of him as Puff because I'm old. Same. But yeah, Puff had a restaurant in New York and I walked in there and got a job as a waitress and I had never been a waitress before, but I just wanted to be in the mix. I was like, I need to like meet people and I want to, I need a job. And everyone was like, you should waitress. You make a ton of money in New York. I was like, okay. I think I did it for like two months, if that. I was like, I can't take this. I hate being a waitress. <laughs> never again. <laughs> no, I know why I've never been a waitress and I'm never doing it again. Yeah, but it was great because I met like one of my best friends there. And yeah, just a ton of contacts. And it was actually like a fun thing. And it was like a great 
crash course into New York City for me. This was like the hub of like New York people coming in. They wanted to have food. They wanted to get, they came in to pregame for a party. The bar was always rocking. I was like, this is like, I worked, even though it was a restaurant, it was essentially nightlife. <laughs> like, yeah, it really was. And we would literally shut down the restaurant like every night and walk down the street as like a crew, like the staff, the waiters, the waiters to Cheetah. And yeah, it was just like a great time. I love that. Yeah, it was so fun. It was the best. So how did you take the leap from that to your first beauty job? So my first beauty job, I worked at John Barrett Salon in Bergdorf Goodman, which is no longer in Bergdorf Goodman. I think they have like their own salon now, but they, I wanted that. I, I wasn't doing makeup. I was a manager of the salon and I was still kind of like, I would do makeup on the side a little bit here and there. And I met someone who would hire me into corporate beauty, who was Steve Stout. And at the time he was, I guess he was CEO. I don't even remember, honestly, but he was an investor in a company called Carol's Daughter. He just really kind of wanted like young creative people. And I met him through a friend and we had somehow, the salon had somehow been involved in like a shoot that he knew about. So he took that to mean that I was like super connected in beauty and all that. And he was like, oh, I'm hiring people. And he basically like recruited me into marketing and PR for Carol's Daughter. And I was like, I'd never really done it before, but he was like, I honestly just want like young creative people who have good ideas. He's like, you're clearly passionate about beauty, which I was. So I went in there and I was there for three years. And that was really where I, I learned the whole corporate side of beauty. And I learned... I started to really understand that you could have a job as a makeup artist. I was booking photo shoots and campaigns and press. I was like, you know, approving budgets. And I was watching these rates come in for glam where I was like, what a day? Like, Are you kidding me? And I was like, wait, you can really do this. And I met a, another friend of mine who was a film makeup artist and she would call me in any day that she didn't have to use like a union assistant. She would call me in and I was getting practice on set a little bit and in 2008, I just was like, had had it with New York. And like the top of 2009, I said, I'm going to move to LA and I'm just going to be a makeup artist. But I had like amazing, amazing contacts at Carol's Daughter. And the Rolodex was a very entertainment heavy Rolodex because that was what Steve had come from entertainment. So a lot of our press and marketing and all that had gone through like record label things and having artists like, you know, and like Mary J. Blige was like one of our faces and Jada Pinkett. So it was like a lot of like entertainment stuff was happening. And that work just worked out really well for me because I'm a good relationship person, I'm a people person. And, you know, people would still call me for Carol's daughter related stuff. And I just still remember like one of the first jobs I got as a makeup artist was a video commissioner called me and was like, hey, we're shooting a video. Like, could you just like send me some Carol's daughter? There's like a bathroom scene where he's going to sing to her. I think it was like a Trey Songz video. And it was like, he's going to sing to her. We were trying to, we'll throw Carol's daughter up in the vanity. And I said, oh, you know, I don't work at Carol's daughter anymore. I moved to LA doing makeup. And she and I had such a good relationship. She was like, you do makeup? I didn't even know that. Didn't even like ask to see a book or whatever. But because we were such, we were, had such a great relationship. She was like, do you want to come and just do the girl in the video then? And I was like, okay, (laughs) sure. Yes. It really fell from there because music videos are such like a whirlwind world. And it's like a lot of the same directors, producers, EPs, hair, makeup, just get kind of get rotated around. It's like such a grind. And I just tell people like that was my crash course into makeup because in the first year, I probably did 50 to 100 videos. I don't even know. I would have to sit and count. And wow, it was crazy. 
but it's such a great training ground because you learn your set etiquette, right? You understand how fast you need to turn people over. You understand it's, hey, we have eight dancers. They're all different, you know, skin tones, eye shapes, ethnicities, but everyone needs to have a smoky eye and a red lip. And we need them all in three hours, camera ready. I mean, that's just like trial by fire. Like, okay, eight different eye shapes, smoky eye. What am I doing? Eight different skin tones. Learn how to master skin fast. And so, yeah, it just really, it made me fast. It made me good. It made me diverse. It was just like a great, I just tell people like, if you're starting, if you can just get into that music video circuit, it is brutal and no pay, but that is like a crash course in like set makeup and just getting it moving. Hey everybody, Gabby Reese here. Please join me for my show where we're going to be talking about all things self-care. And I don't mean just eating and exercise. I'm talking stress, marriage, relationships, parenting, business, transitions. How do we figure out a way to be our best selves each and every day? So whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen, please join me. If you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, Remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. So last summer, Joanna and I were on a panel together for Shopify, and it was really great. When was it? Last August, right? It was yeah. the day after we moved our entire family to Los Angeles. So it was August 10th. Yes. I'm the biggest supporter yeah. of this move. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was something that you said on that panel that really stuck with me for a while. And I think it applies for every industry and also kind of piggybacking off something you just said. You were like, you know, I moved to L.A. to be a makeup artist. And there was a piece of advice that you gave in the panel where you were like, I hate when people introduce themselves to me and say, I'm trying to be a makeup artist or I'm I'm aspiring makeup artist. And you were like, do you do makeup? Can you like do my makeup? Do you study makeup? Like, OK, you're a makeup artist. Yeah. And I think that like that conviction is super rare to claim it, especially because like you're moving across the country and being like, no, like. I'm going to be a makeup artist instead of like, I'm going to go to LA and try. Yeah. And there's a big difference in mm-hmm. attitude between those two things. There is, what does Yoda say? There is no try. There's only do. People are like, how did you become a makeup artist? And like I said, I was a makeup artist. There are books about success. There are, you know, Think and Grow Rich. There's all these books and there's an underlying lesson in all of them. And the lesson is that you have to set a goal and know the goal and just work to the goal. Once you reach a goal, then you can move the goalposts. But like, if you're shooting an arrow, you need a target, right? Otherwise, where it could go anywhere. Draw your target so that when you pull back, like, yeah, you're going to keep shooting. But eventually, you know when you've hit the target and then you can move the target again. Yeah, you have to, you have to claim what's for you and what, yeah, that's when, that's something's not for you until you claim it. I've been trying this new thing, especially in this environment where I've learned that you can have zero expectations. It's like, okay, now I'm setting six-month goals. And underneath those six-month goals, I'm setting monthly goals. That, to me, has felt 10 times more achievable than being like, okay, in a year, this is where I want to be. Because it's like, how am I going to take the steps to get there? And if I don't get there, then I beat myself up. It's like, did I accomplish that goal in in that month? Because it was actually like tangible and feasible and I could actually like get it done. Yes, I agree that especially when, you know, obviously there are variables and nobody can control right now. Like no one knows what's happening. No one knows what's going to happen. No one knows what the world's going to look like next week, much less next year. So I think like cutting your goals down into smaller segments, make them much more achievable. And because like even not in quarantine, I just think in real life, that's important too, because like you need a win. A win will keep you going. Like that, that's what I would say. Like totally. When, like when I'm working out it's, and people say this a lot, like if you kind of fall off the workout wagon, 
it's much harder to start because it takes a while to see some results. And then when you see the results, you're like, oh, let me, let me. Oh, shit. Okay. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. But like, yeah. So same thing with any kind of goal that you set for yourself. I think like you need a win. Okay. So you're on the, the music video circuit. How did you go from that, which kind of feels like a well-oiled machine to me, to then going to having your own individual clients? So videos are great because obviously you meet a ton of people, including obviously there's celebrities there because it's artists that have videos. So I really got pulled a lot into grooming at first because I was getting, you know, it's, hey, we know you're doing the dances, but you can you come groom Trey Songs or this rapper or this singer or Tyrese or whoever it is, right? And then this was also kind of at the time, this was like where my PR and marketing lessons from Carol's Daughter kind of came into play because I really had like a masterclass in how to, you know, manipulate the media. And this was at the launch of Twitter, like when social media really kind of like jumped from like just Facebook connection to like, like, I feel like when Twitter happened, like Twitter and Instagram became like social media became like marketing platforms. And because I had a marketing and PR background, I understood that early. And I, this was way before Instagram, but even just Twitter. So also at that time, Twitter was such a new tool that you would, sign up and it would say, Hey, do you want to add all these people from your address book? And everyone was just like, sure. Cause no one knew how it worked. I luckily totally. had this very good Rolodex of video commissioners and celebrity managers and celebrities. And, and they were doing the same thing. Celebrities were like, sure. I'm adding people in my contact. Why not? I don't know how this works yet. So I understood that I had an audience on Twitter that, yeah, that like people didn't really understand as an audience. So I just, I, and I also had come from the school of marketing and PR where you know not to give away too much. Like I knew how to give away just enough to tease things. So I knew not to blow out projects online and, and share things that shouldn't be shared until the final project was out. But I knew how to sound busy. You know what I mean? And and I think that worked to my advantage because a lot of the right eyes, like times the right content from me of looking busy and just Twitter, like, hey, on set today with da 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 you know what I mean? Just that. And this is like, again. There's something you're saying there that I totally hear. And I know it sounds like a little slimy, but seeming busy is kind of a hack. It's kind of a career hack. It's absolutely a career hack. People love to tell you that there's a difference between like busy and working or like the words busy work. I'm like, you have to look, every like everything's an illusion. You have to look popping. And I think like there's a value to that. I was on set. Yes. So like if I tweet on set shooting new Jay-Z video, that sounds way cooler than, hey, I'm stuck in this little tiny room getting all these dancers ready and we're grinded. Like, it's like, hey, I'm shooting a new Jay-Z video. And people are like, oh, you know, but I had people that were video commissioners, executive producers, talent managers, celebrities watching that. Yeah. So I had shot a video for Hello, Good Morning with Puff. And full circle moment, puff. And there was a woman named Ro who at the time worked for him. And her job was literally just to get, make sure that like Ciroc was getting like visibility in the videos, right? She worked for Ciroc and we, this was, Twitter was new. We followed each other. And maybe six months later, she DM me on Twitter and she had, it turned out she had left Ciroc and we had, you know, we followed each other. Um, hey, I work for a management company and we were at Salida Ebanks, who was a Victoria's Secret model at the time, a big model and an actress. And she was going to be doing a State Farm commercial. She was like, can you do her makeup? And it literally had just, because Ro had followed me that day on the Hello, Good Morning set, and then had continued to watch what I was posting and was like, here's a makeup artist 
that we can book for this. And my job is to book this makeup artist. And like, I had a good time on set with her and whatever. So that became like my first kind of really big, like it was a national commercial. I, w- I negotiated a great rate because I had been assisting someone who had done commercials. So I was like seeing what the rates should be. Yeah, from there, I think it started to kind of jump. And, you know, once you get one thing, then the person that I am too, like, I'm not ever gross about, you know, hey, we tag me, we, can we do this? We, you know, people used to say, how do you use Twitter? Like, what do you do? You just get on there and you say, I'm a makeup artist, book me. And I was like, that's basically the only thing I don't say. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, right. like that's not marketing. But because I was never gross or pushy, you know, clients have always tagged me and posted about me. And, you know, and it's, you know, you just build a genuine following that way from people that are into that client or, you know, I'm, you know, you get tagged all the time by people and, you know, you just watch your followers jump. And, you know, now we're kind of in this time where your follower count matters to get booked, you know, matters for brands to partner with you. And, and yeah, that's, it's, you know, social media has become a complete marketing tool. We're just like able to kind of be an early adapter to it and to know how to work it. Besides the fact that Joanna has probably one of the best Instagrams, one, you're just like unfiltered and it's real and it's fucking great. It's phenomenal. You're also a good news resource. There's a lot of Noel content that makes me happy. <laughs> I try to keep it balanced. It's a good balance. But I think what I really like is you're very open with the process that goes into creating a look. Literally, I can't think of a single look that you've done that I've loved where it seems like you've just gone in and like done a glam moment. It always has something to do with the outfit. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely, because sometimes I think, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have some really great regular clients. And what that means is that I do them over and over. And I think it's easy to get right. stuck. And that's kind of my point is that it's like, there's something really cool about you kind of like lifting the curtain on that relationship that you have with these clients. And like, we kind of get this like behind the scenes look of like how you are building this complete moment with them. I think that as much transparency as as you're able to give is important because, and that was a lesson that I learned when I, I worked in marketing. And that was one of our big lessons at Carol started. That was like a thing that was reinforced to us over and over was people want to feel a connection. They want to feel like you're authentic. They want to feel like you're real and people can tell when you're not, they can tell when you're bullshitting. And, and honestly, it just takes so much energy. Like you think about like, you know, when people say like, if you're like lying to your partner, like you got to remember, there's so many more details you got to remember if you're lying. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, just you, you is the thing too. Cause it's also like, you've made it this far betting on yourself. And I follow and I'm friends with this woman named Mylique Teal. She runs this business called Curlbox, which is kind of like, um, she basically saw a need in the market. Like, um, was it, was it Birchbox, which was like the subscription where you would get like beauty products. Yes. So she saw a need for black women and she literally created like a black hair subscription called Curlbox. But she, she tweeted this thing and she'll like repost it on her stories every now and then she tweeted it from like 2011. And I just, I favorited it then. And I still like, I'll repost it when she says it. And she said, it's something like, I can give you the recipe the ingredients. I can tell you how small to chop everything. I can tell you exactly how to add it, what order, how many stirs. She was like, I'm the secret sauce. Like there's just like that, that thing that's you and that's what you need to tap into. And you have to tap into that thing that's unique. And that's what people respond to. And I think like people are scared to do that. Maybe it's an insecurity thing. Like you maybe don't like yourself so much. So you think, or what, what could they like about me? You know what I mean? I'm like, you have something like, there's a thing that people are interested in 
and they want to subscribe to and they want to respond to. And if they don't, guess what? It's fine. There's 7 billion people on the planet. Everything is not for everybody. There's going to be people that respond and, and those are your people and, and build that community out. And I think you just, you want to feel real and you want to feel connected. And I mean, I think especially now during quarantine, I think like we all want to connect and, and the more that you can give to people to connect to it, the more they're going to want to connect to you. If you guys don't follow Joanna on Instagram, please go follow her. She's done like some incredible looks from like Storm Reed, Deesa Ray, like Harry Washington. It's like honestly like the most incredible artistry of all time. And it's just it's really fun to watch you work with. I feel like people that like aren't just your clients are your friends. And there's like such an important, I think, perspective that you bring into that. That like, you know, I feel like it's a collaborative art that you're doing. It doesn't feel like this like exclusive thing that I like can't partake in. And I think that's really important in the beauty industry right now. And like one thing that I ask everybody that's in beauty when they come on the show is like, there's such a call for transparency, whether it's like in male grooming or like Botox Mm -hmm. and fillers and like everyone just wants to be open about the things that we're doing to make ourselves look the way that we do. And I think that's important. I think it's super important. I follow so many random pages that I think, and I don't know if the intent behind them is sort of, is maybe like a little negative or something, but it's a lot of like celebrity before and after or. I hate it. I hate it. It really bothers me. It bothers me. Because they feel negative. Because it feels negative. But I do like to see, I'm curious, like as, as someone who works in beauty, I follow one page and I don't remember which one it is exactly, but they will take like the like the Getty image and they'll take the image the celebrity posted and then they gif it so you can see like and I'm always fascinated I I just think it's such an interesting study in like art insecurities and how they become trends so I'm fascinated to see what people who we would look at and be like you're perfect what they tweak do you know what I mean and and I always yeah. and I think about how that leads to beauty trends I always think about how like in the early mid 2000s being super tan was a thing and that clearly came from JLo and that came from I would assume that that's a little bit of an insecurity being like a Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx who was really fair compared to everyone else and she was like I want a glow and they gave her a glow and that then like because you were the it girl everyone wanted to glow or like I think about how the super bright under eye was like a thing maybe like 6 years ago and I think like Kim Kardashian has clearly had some insecurities about like her natural dark under eye circles. And then she was like super bright concealer and that became a trend. So I think it's fascinating how like someone who can be considered like one of the most beautiful people in the world has a look they've created that was rooted in insecurity that became a global trend. Is that like, do you know what I mean? So interesting. I've never thought about that, but I think you're hundred percent right. Where it's like, I'm going to say this with the kindest of heart right now, but it's like, we see so many people And again, I think this goes back to maybe a Kardashian like funnel down, trickle down into society. But like the big lips, Mm -hmm. the cheek, like the bright eyes, like the contour, like there was an amazing article actually. And I think it was the New York Times. I'm really sorry, guys. I will try about the morphing of the Instagram face. Was it the New York Times? I think it was the New York Times. It was either that or the New Yorker. It was like it was all about how like we have this very like cyborg looking face that everybody Mm -hmm either like manipulates their face or like uses a ton of makeup to get online. And it's so interesting how that came about because it's obviously like it isn't a trend that we've had in the past. And like, I think we can all admit that it definitely comes from like a more openness to like fillers Mm -hmm. and injection and maybe like a bit more of like a stronger presence in the makeup world. Um, 
But it's interesting that like, when you think about it, all those things come from insecurities. You're right. Like I said, so I follow the pages and I don't love, but sometimes they're like, they're just posted without caption. You know, it's not like, you know, obviously like the comment section, like the first rule of the internet is don't read the comments. Like the comment section can get pretty gross, but I definitely am fascinated just seeing like what these sort of presumably quote unquote perfect people see. Like the thing that, like the thing that bothers you about how you look, no one else is looking at. Because like, I'll sometimes see like a before and after when they do the gifts. And I'm like, did you need to do that? Did you need to do that? And I'm just sort of fascinated by it. And I think like that goes back to like the transparency conversation of like, obviously everyone wants to like, especially when you're posting, like I said, when I post a static photo, I think about it more. It's like, which one did I like? You take 700 selfies, like what's the perfect angle? And no one wants to, to sort of see this imperfect thing. But I also think that's why I think I get like so candid and raw and makeup free on Instagram stories. And I'm just talking like, I don't care because I'm just like, at the end of the day, we're all just real people. And I think it's important that we all see that. It's also like a weird thing to be in a business that's literally designed to like my job is to like perfect everything. And now I'm sitting here saying we need to be more real. So it is it's obviously a weird balance that I, that I live in. No, I think that duality is important though, because we should be able to like enjoy beauty for all our personal enjoyment and the artistry of it and the fun of it without having to feel like we need to like, that it's masking something, I feel like. Absolutely. And by the way, if you want to mask something, I mean, go for it. Like to each your own. And, and, but I definitely do miss sort of like the things that make us different. You know what I mean? I, I you know, it, it, my explore page bothers me right now. It's, it's weird. I feel like you have been such a part of so many beautiful moments that have really like brought diversity to the forefront of the beauty industry. And to me, I've always really admired you for that as someone that like, I feel like you walk into these situations with like no intention, but just being like the best ally for inclusivity and diversity that you possibly can be. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on just working with so many different people and also like the artistry that goes into it and kind of like how you back to like your music video days and how you had were in the position of like having to do makeup for people of like all color, all eye shapes. And like, I'm sure that that prepped you a lot for this position. I love black women. <laughs> I do. I, black women are dope. I, you know, I grew up, I, and I talk about this a little bit on Dropping Gems too, is that I grew up in the Bay Area in the 80s and 90s, which is very different than the Bay Area of today. Um, it was very diverse in a, a not even trying to be diverse kind of way. It just was. And I've had this conversation. It's funny. I've had this conversation with, Ali Wong, the comedian um, who's from the Bay Area, whose makeup I've done. I've had this conversation with Megan Rapino from the women's soccer team, who is uh, also from Northern California at that time. Ebro from Hot 97. Like, it was a time in a space. And it's funny, I had this conversation the other day. Someone asked me about it, and I was trying to analyze what that was. And I think it's, it kind of came from like, people would always tell me New York was super diverse. And, and it's, it is, but it's also not. It's, it's very segregated. And I think the Bay had, you know, especially in the 80s and 90s, we were the children of like the hippies that came and the Bay was like that place. Right. So there really was like this sort of like free loving, everyone's the same as long as we're peaceful and loving type of thing that like was a magical thing. And like, we're the kids of those parents. Right. I've always, I just like, yeah, black women are dope and black girls been dope since I was in high school. And, and it was never like a, a thing like, oh, she hangs out with like black girls and Latin girls and Asian girls. Like everyone just hung out in the Bay. So there was that. As an artist, I see colors and I see dimension. And 
brown skin is so beautiful. It, it has so much depth and dimension and natural radiance. I always want to make sure that Black women and their beauty is highlighted to the fullest extent. We were watching last night on Disney Plus, The Proud Family, which was like a cartoon that came out in like 2000. It was like a Black family cartoon. And I was showing it to Noelle and I totally had forgot there's like these little three characters called the Gross Sisters and the little boy Sticky, they're like gray green. And the little boy Sticky refers to them as ashy. He's like, they're ashy. And Noelle didn't know what ashy meant. And I was like, how can I describe ashy to her? And I was like, I guess kind of like dry skin. She's like, but why are they gray green? I was like, well, like, look at, and I was like, let me just Google. So I Google ashy. And like one of the first things that comes up is this picture of Issa. And I was like, wait, what? And it's an essence headline that says seven highlighters that will not turn ashy on brown skin. And I thought that's exactly what I love to do. I love that makeup that I did on my client is literally the banner image for how to not be ashy. Like how to just look the most gorgeous, glowing, luminous that you can look. There was not literally any other celebrity photo in the article. It was just photos of product under it. And the image of her, of which I had done the makeup, was the banner image for how to not be ashy. And I was like, that's the thing. Like, that's what makes me happy. But it, it's that thing. It's that thing where I think Black women need to be seen as, as beautiful and by everybody. And I, you know, I think like it's happening, but I think there's such a long way to go. And, and in beauty as well, like brands, any brand that launches right now and doesn't have diverse shades, and I'm not just talking about foundation, I'm talking about you know, do your, does your neutral eye palette speak to like, cause there's ashy browns and there's warm browns. So like when you say this is a neutral eye palette, like for what skin complexion are you talking about? Can I use the, your neutral brown eyeshadows on everybody? Like if, if I can't even get that together, then I just know, like if you send me a PR package and the first thing I think is I can't use this on my clients, then I know this entire line is not for me. And I try to be vocal about that. Like I try to say that on my Instagram stories and I say it on podcasts and in interviews. And I had this conversation also um, with Elaine Walteroth maybe like two years ago and how she was saying how like she felt that like black women on magazine covers was a trend, but like the magazine, like she's like, what is, what happens when I open the page? Like who wrote this story? Who, who did you hire to do the photos? Who, you know what I mean? She's like, so if you, she's yeah. like, are we selling your, your magazine, but like, you're not actually doing the work behind the scenes, you know, and that was like a conversation right. we had, you know, it's just like, it's such a multi-layered conversation. And I think I just try to, yeah, to your point, be an ally as much as I can, like try to, try to push, push people forward. There are ways that I see it where, that like only a makeup artist would even understand where I'll get to set um, for, you know, certain magazines who generally have always had, you know, white women on their covers. And, you know, the makeup direction is they want very quote unquote, natural makeup, minimal foundation. We just want her to look light and fresh. And I'm like, that says to me that you have not even had enough black women in front of a camera for this magazine that you don't understand lighting and, and what, pigment and melanin and lighting and camera lenses do. I work with many black women and I understand how much product needs to be on light skin and how much product needs to be on dark skin to both look like natural. And I usually like, I have my clients now, I just tell, I like smile and nod. And then the publicist will set up the privacy barrier and I just do the skin the way I do the skin. Because 
like there's a basic science lesson here is that we know that light reflects and that dark absorbs. So the darker your skin, you can actually wear more makeup, still look natural, but to have the reflection and the glow. And I can always see, you know, the random fashion moments in a magazine where like the makeup artist definitely did the, okay, cool, tap, tap, tap on the brown model because their skin is just, it's just like not there. It's not, they didn't respect the dimension. They just kind of went tap, tap, tap. And they didn't lay the color where it needed to be laid because they listened to some beauty director tell them, we just want you to like tap, tap, tap and you're done. And I'm like, no, like I need you to like, it's like this old school way of doing makeup where like what you and how you and I would wear a foundation, which would be generally like one color all over with maybe a little bright in the middle. That's not what you do on brown skin. And you book this client that you think is obviously beautiful and dynamic and amazing, right? To be on your cover. She clearly trusts me. I've been doing her makeup four years, five years. And then you're not going to trust me to like do what I do to make her look amazing for your shoot. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just like that where like, I, I get what you mean about like, you want it to look clean and fresh and natural, but like, I know how to do that. And please like, can you just stop poking your head in every five minutes when you see me put something on that you don't expect because you've never seen someone do it before. It sounds that like thing. we are deeply missing a lot of education and yeah. the same amount of education that we put into learning how to do white skin. We need to put in the same amount that goes into all the other different skin types. I do you remember that's what it sounds like. Do you remember when was it Lindsay? Lindsay Peoples, she did that that what's it like to be black in fashion for the cut, right? She came on this show. She came, I listened to her podcast. It. it was amazing. I was like crying reading it. And I will never forget, because she's one of my best friends, my girl Kalana Barco Brown, who was a beauty director or editor at large for InStyle at the time. And now she's just freelance on her own, but she, the point that she, like, I mean, everyone, so basically if you guys haven't read this article, it's just about like, she asked a zillion black people in fashion and beauty, what it was really like. And, and they were very honest. And one thing Kalana said was, I don't understand why I am expected to go to all of the beauty events that might not apply to me. But when I go to like a black opal or a motions hair, I only see black editors. Where are your white editors at this? I go to brands that don't make anything that I use because I'm covering beauty, but like the white editors are not covering all aspects of beauty. So like, what is that about? I'm like, I, I look at like my favorite covers that I've had, maybe like of Issa, where like her essence cover, her, oh, her glamour cover. That was a ga- That felt like a game changer for me. I loved I'm so upset. It's like my favorite cover ever. It's my yeah, favorite. You guys have not seen that Essence cover. It's really, really something so beautiful. Thank you. It's so, I'm just obsessed with it. And it's her favorite cover too. She, yeah. says, she says it. She's like, it's my favorite cover of all time. And uh, like, and I love her glamour cover. And I, I just feel like, I mean, Essence definitely obviously let me live Their Their direction was carnival. And then they just let me live as far as like, they were like, we trust what you do with right. Lisa. And like glamour definitely was like, we want her to, we want the natural look for this, but we want you to do it how you do it. You know what I mean? And, and I love both of those covers of her. And it's just like when we're allowed to work and it just makes the environment on set better. And I don't have to feel like I'm hiding behind it. And I'm just like, I don't think like if you were to look at maybe like that glamour cover, like she has like a no makeup look on that glamour cover. And I don't think that she looks made up at all, but she definitely has more on than the like tap, tap, tap that they, you know, most magazines would tell you to do because that's what you can do on like a model that's like your complexion. You know what I mean? Because on you, I can just tap, tap, tap and your skin will glow. You know what I mean? It's just a different thing. And until 
you know, these beauty and fashion directors sort of understand that it's still just feels like an uphill battle sometimes. How are you feeling about, I'm sure this is probably a sensitive question, but how are you feeling about that whole, the industry in general? Because I mean, look, at the end of the day, once this dies down a little bit, we're talking about coronavirus here. I'm sure Issa and I'm sure the clients that you're closest with will feel some sort of comfortability to have you in their home. You guys are friends. Like, let's be real. Yeah. We know that eventually like that will happen. But like, where's your head at in terms of the industry, in terms of being on set, in terms of doing makeup for these big moments? Like, what are you thinking for the future and what's kind of worrying you most right now? I mean, I had like a late night moment the other night where I was kind of freaking out and Sean was like trying to calm me down. But a lot of our big moments are the Met Gala and Oscars and Emmys and TCAs and, you know, Hollywood Foreign Press Luncheon and just like so many, you know, our checks come from just like the fact that these clients need to be seen everywhere. Right. And obviously that's not going to happen. So that is freaking me out a little bit. You know, I think there's going to be like a change in press for a while. And I kind of, I don't know if you saw like the Disney sing along, like the way they did it. So my husband, Sean, who, you know, and I have, were like, he was debating saying he thought this could like lower production values and costs in general. He's like, because it's, it's Disney, which is like the biggest, most polished company in the world is okay putting out content that looks like that. And it was a huge hit. They're doing a second one. Like it was so fun. Everyone's just zooming from their home. Like, why would people then spend so much? And people are, again, going back to the authenticity. People enjoy like the authenticity of like, celebrities who have like being home yeah they're home my hair is not done my makeup's like I did it myself like whatever and it's real so like how much are consumers going to want like hyper-produced content again like I was thinking like uh, the other day of press weeks right like we fly to New York and it's you know you hit the ground running and it's good morning America the view six press stops a magazine late night tv all these things and I'm like maybe for a while it will be because all of these shows and networks obviously have West Coast heroes. So maybe it becomes like we can sort of slowly either let people into homes or they can set up outposts. So like, why does she need, why do we all need to fly for her to be on Good Morning America at 7 a.m. in New York? Like, why do we all need to- No, totally. Why can't- I think it's made us rethink the capabilities of the things that we can do from here. So like, can we just glance? So I I feel like there's going to be less travel, especially in in the next year or two. I mean, I feel like life will come back a bit, but I definitely feel like people are going to be like, this travel's unnecessary. You don't need to do it. And I think like there's going to be a lot of local, even local to New York for LA and the same thing for talent that lives in New York and glam people that live in New York, like local to LA press. So that I think is going to be an okay thing. Like, I think we're going to be able to either, now we can have a small crew either come into your home or like Good Morning America sets up an LA studio and like we go into the LA right. studio and do a feed or whatever that is. What's the tip that you have for makeup artists right now that are at home? It's funny. I probably should be doing more makeup right now, but I am so, it's funny what you, you got to be very specific in your asks, right? Because I was really busy and I was like, oh my God, I just need a break. I was like, no, not like this. Not like this. Right. Like, I think everybody's feeling that. Right. But I'm also like, I'm such a, like, I get so burned out on washing brushes. I get so burned out on having to pack and unpack my kit. So it's almost like, I'm like, okay, well, I am going to embrace Joanna's kit is the craziest thing I have ever seen in my whole it's life. So crazy. It's something special. But I was like, I'm going to embrace this break. And like, I, 
part of me is like, I don't feel like making dirty brushes right now. I don't feel like packing and unpacking my kit right now. I'm like, I'm going to embrace the break from it. I only put on makeup. Like I did like a tutorial for the wing last week. I did a tutorial. For- oh, it was so good. Thank can we? Where can we watch that still? It's on, YouTube. on their website. It's on YouTube. I'll, okay, cool. I, it was I, really I, good. I, if you guys I, haven't seen it, go check it out. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's probably, I'm sure it's like a link on the wings. YouTube as well but yeah it's on YouTube and I'm about to do a brow tutorial because people keep asking but other than that That's yeah great. I'm not doing makeup I mean I also have a five-year-old so like really like morning tonight I'm it's her but we it's hard I have so much empathy for parents hard. right now it's really hard you know and aside from just having to entertain her and you know you have this like fear that like her social interaction is being stunted or her education is being slowed or you're creating some sort of like, you know, OCD about like cleanliness, which is not necessarily a bad thing, yes. but like, let's not go crazy here. Like you can touch people and, right. like, and like a weird, like, I, oh, you can't hug people. You can't touch. People. I'm like, I don't want to give her that. Kids are resilient. Like I said, and I think she's fine. And, and, you know, she basically is like, I cannot wait to hug my friends. And I'm like, good. Like, I'm glad that you're not thinking like you can't touch people ever again. And yeah, but yeah, so there's that. I am really grateful that I grew up in a time where certain electives were not considered unnecessary for school. Like I grew up and took home economics and it has proven invaluable at this time as far as the basics of cooking, but also just like the stupid things. I just understand how to stock my kitchen. I understand what order I need to, I I organize the the proteins in the fridge based on when they're going to expire. All those Do you things. guys know what I did on Saturday night? My, I had the most wild Saturday night. Sat at my dining room table and was on YouTube for about an hour and a half learning how to properly store every single vegetable and fruit you can possibly think of. Important and like not just like important information. Like there's like we're throwing things in the fridge that shouldn't be in the yep. fridge. And like I didn't know that. No one taught me that. Yep. So like this time has been you're totally spot on. Yeah. Like I am learning. I'm like totally leaning into that right now and like learning what absolutely can be frozen and what cannot be frozen absolutely and that and about like once you thought something you cannot refreeze any portion of like things like that these are things that we were taught in school that I think are not taught anymore and and things that were never taught they're to not also that, I didn't have that, that in school yeah no you know for you it was definitely gone by the time because you're a lot younger than me and also I, I I can't help but think about things that are not taught that should be taught like how to do your taxes. Like there's people that cannot get a stimulus check because they didn't file taxes last year because, but no one's ever taught. They don't know how they don't know how to file their taxes. And people are young and they didn't know they had to file taxes last year. It's just crazy. Like we're not teaching the right thing. What's your favorite beauty trend that's come out of quarantine? I mean, I don't know about trends coming out of quarantine, but I think the trend that I don't know if it's my favorite yet, but I've seen some crazy things coming out of quarantine. I think lashes and brows are going to be, because a lot of people are going to really be wearing masks. I think lips are going to be an afterthought. And I think everyone learning how to put on lashes like this is going to be important. Here. Yeah, because that's what you're going to so see. Funny. Like, who cares about a red lip, right? It's it's definitely going to be totally. like a lashes and brow situation. So I definitely need to do this brow tinting tutorial. And yeah, I think that's going to be the trend. And then like, I think like once we're allowed to, I think people are going to go crazy with their nails again, because I, I, I feel like we're about to go back into a nail art zone because again, you can't express on half your face and people are losing their minds about not For being sure. able to do their nails. All people right. are just going to be so happy to just, be able to go get it done I, I mean I want a facial so bad I can't even like explain I want a massage like oh ugh. I can't wait I can't wait I can't wait, <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, God. I know I thank you so much for coming of on I adore you I love you so much 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Bs. See you next week.